This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. All right, we are back with another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast, and I am very excited for today's guest. Um, first, because her story is incredible. Second, because she is a her, and I need more strong, powerful women on this podcast, and I'm really excited to have Kara Smith here today, the co-founder of Colorado Craft Beef, a fifth-generation rancher. Um, I love that. So cool. So badass. Welcome to the Resilient Life, Kara. You bet. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So um, I'll give a little backstory into how Kara and I met um, through the power of social media on Instagram. Uh, I connected with Kara and uh, her husband through their company, Colorado Craft Beef, which we'll certainly talk a lot more about. Um, and uh Kara's husband was kind enough to send me uh, some of their their beef, which is amazing. Um, and, you know, we started talking about partnership and what that could look like with the Travis Mannion Foundation. And then he mentioned who was the brains, the muscle, um, the leader of Colorado Craft Beef, his wife. And um, I was thrilled to be able to come and uh, talk to a woman who... Um, I would think is living like I do in a very male dominated industry. So um, I love that aspect of it. And, you know, I think what I'd love to do, Kara, is begin with um, how did your family's ranch begin? You know, how your fifth generation rancher, tell us what that means. Sure. Uh, our place is actually a half a mile from the original homestead. So um part of the history of how the American West was settled was the, the Homestead Act. Um, so allowing pioneers, you know, to come out, come West and be able to settle new land. So that originally started with the Homestead Act. And then it grew to the enlarged Homestead Act in, I believe it was 1909. And that was when my family came out to this area, this part of Colorado, uh, they were originally from Kansas, so it had been my great-great-grandfather. He packed up his wife and four children from Kansas and headed headed west. You know, he had he had relations out here, and so he uh, decided that he was going to go west and see what it was all about. And uh, actually, the county road that just runs half a mile from here that, that goes uh, east and west, he rode his horse down the road until he found grass that was belly high and decided that's where they were going to homestead. <laughs> so, um, he, uh, I mean, and, and even this year it's, it's been a wonderful year as far as a grazing year. And we had the same and, and I was like, yep, that's why he stopped right here. He was like, this is going to be a great place for my family and be able to graze cattle and, you know, start kind of a new life out West. Um, so in that homestead act, technically when, when somebody files for the, 
you know, their, their homestead, which at that point in time, it was 320 acres. So it was a half a section, a full section is 640. So when you file for that, um, that goes to, I believe it was the County courthouse at the time, however you wanted to call it then. Uh, and then you have to actually homestead that land for five years. So you have to work the land. So 1913 is when he came out here and officially got the paperwork on this, this piece of ground, that half of a section in 1917. Um, so it's, it's a pretty cool history, you know, hundred years of kind of a ranching legacy, literally a half a mile from where we live. Um, that's, that's where it started. And of course it's, it's grown, it's grown since then. Um, my dad, you know, he, he took on the, the legacy as fourth generation. Uh, and there's just like anything, there hasn't been a lack of trials and tribulations along the way. You know, we've been through the Dust Bowl and the ag crisis of the 80s and all of the the things that are are very challenging in this to make sure that 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 legacy has has been able to stay in the family. And that's something that I definitely take to heart because frankly, you don't want to be the generation that that's lost on. Yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> well, you know, what does it what does it mean to be a rancher, right? Like I've obviously said, there's been a lot of trials and tribulations. You're doing different things. You're, you're trying different concepts, but like at the end of the day, what does, what does being a rancher mean? That's a really good question because there's many definitions for a lot of things, as you well What's know. What's your definition of being a rancher? Uh, we'll yes. Read, we'll uh, well, and and I can, you know, call myself a rancher. Some people will be like, oh, well, you're more a cowgirl. You're more of a cattlewoman. You're, I mean, in my mind, it's kind of like that, that interface of, of nature, um, and working in symbiosis with it. Uh, we're, we're caretakers of the land. We're caretakers of the animals. Uh, we're, we're stewards of these natural resources. And then, you know, we're able to produce such a high quality protein from that. That's something that, uh, there can be a lot of controversy on, you know, how things are done, if they're done this way, if they're labeled that way, you know, grass fed, grass finished, grain fed, how you run cattle on the land. But the reality is we're able to work with nature to produce such a high quality product that can fuel our lives that that's something that I just, I couldn't let be lost on my generation. And, and a lot of it kind of had been because there was just such a disconnect from where your food came from that, uh, I just felt the calling to try to bring that back. So did you always know as a child that that was going to be your path that you were going to follow in your family's footsteps, you know, ultimately, um, take over the ranch and, and continue this, this lifestyle? I don't know if I did. I've always loved it. Let's put it that way. Okay. I love the ranch. I love the way of life. I mean, there is nothing more magical than watching the sunrise from horseback. There just isn't, you know, on a cool summer morning and just being one with nature. Like there's just nothing more magical than that. Um, I did all of the, I, I kind of tried the big city route too, though. I, you know, I, I have a, undergrad degree in animal science. I have a master's degree in animal science as well in ruminant nutrition and cow nutrition. Um, I moved a lot of places a lot across the West. I, you know, I've lived in Texas. I moved up to Idaho. Um, I've traveled the majority of the West and even some of the East talking to ranchers across the country. Um, and 
frankly, both my husband and I could be in corporate sales or business development and be doing about anything anywhere else. Uh, but I just, I felt this, the calling to come back to the ranch and be able to make an impact and, and have, you know, do, do things differently to be able to take it to the next generation. Some of that was when I had children as well, or when the thought process of having children came about, there's so many things that I learned on the ranch that I realize now that I don't know how to teach my kids any other way. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. Well, walk us through, because this was the one thing when, when I was talking to your husband and he said, well, you know, my wife is, she's the leader. She's, she's a fifth generation rancher. And the first thing that popped into my mind was a day in the life. Like walk me through what a day in your life looks like a typical day in your life. Uh, really agriculture in general, but ranching where we live is so cyclical that it depends on the time of the year. Okay. So um, we're in, we're in November, you know, so yep. in, in this time of year, what, what is a tip? If you're not on the resilient life podcast with me, what does a typical day look like? Sure. Uh, I am a morning person through and through, I you know, the five o'clock hour is that's kind of my me time. So, uh, wake up and have my coffee, you know, just, just me and the solace of that, uh, in the summer, I'll do that on the patio so I can watch the sunrise. Uh, it's one of my favorite things, uh, this time of year, it's, you know, a little more confined to the house to have my cup of coffee. Uh, then I make sure that I get my, my workout in whatever that may look like for the day. We're, we're so rural that YouTube is normally where I go for those. Um, there's not a gym that's super close besides the one that's outside of my office where we have the jujitsu mats and, you know, the things that we can use here instead of having to go somewhere. Um, and then depending on, on what's going on, on the ranch, um, we also, we have, have a feed yard as well. So we're coordinating cattle there, uh, making sure cattle health is taken care of feeding cattle. Uh, we're, we're really blessed to have a great team that, that works with us, uh, to be able to step in for some of the day to day and, and allow Jeff and I, the room to be able to work on the business, um, not just in the business. Um, so that, that is a, a good chunk of, of the day is being able to, whether it's in the office or, you know, phone calls, et cetera, to really, kind of hone in on, on what the business needs that day and really develop that. Uh, there's other times though, that, you know, if my dad needs help weaning calves, I'll be, I'll be horseback for at least half the day to bring in, bring in some, some calves, make sure that they're healthy and, uh, be able to enjoy some of those things or, you know, making sure that they have all their, their vaccines and, and are fed and all of those things. So there's always a mix of that, just depending on, on what a typical day looks like of where we need help. Yeah. You know, there's been days where, you know, maybe our, our guy that helps us with, with the feed yard or, and the ranch is not available. And, you know, Jeff and I will be feeding cows all day. That's just, the reality of it, but, um, uh, we are, we are blessed to be able to work more on the business. Um, there's a lot of ranchers that, you know, that the day-to-day -day of everything, you know, you need to fix fence, you need to feed cattle, you need to do all of the ranch stuff too, that doesn't leave as much time to be able to work on the business, um, instead of working in the business. So we have a mix of that, but it, it just depends on the day and the time of year. Um, in the summertime, I mean, if we're shipping cattle, it's it's up at 
4.30 or so, 4, 4.30, you have your coffee and go saddle your horse and your that that's your office chair for the day is, you know, the back of a horse to go gather cattle or move them to a different pasture or things like that. So, you know, I think a lot about, um, and you talked about it a little bit, you know, just there was a, there was a time period where there wasn't a, a focused effort on where your, your food was coming from meat in particular, you, you know, I, I walk into a grocery store and I'm, you know, I don't understand the difference between grass fed, green fed, you know, it, and, and again, even if I did understand the dis- difference, a lot of it is misleading. A lot of it is, you know, it's, you don't really know where your stuff's coming from. Let's be honest. Um, and, um, but then you think about like, you think about all of that, you think about where we are today and there is an emphasis on understanding um, sustainability and knowing where your stuff comes from and, and getting it from ranchers like you guys, where you know that you're getting quality product, you know, you know, you go on your website and you know exactly how this meat is produced. Like, you know, how it's getting from your ranch in Colorado onto my table, which I love. And, you know, the other things that have really, I would say in the last few years, we've started to have a deeper understanding and appreciation for our overall health, you know, what you put in your body and what you're doing. And a lot of that is, you know, they talk about, you know, being outside, being connected with nature, um, getting in 10,000 steps. I'm not talking about, you know, extreme athletes and, you know, but just what makes the composition of a healthy lifestyle. And when you look at your profession, like you're living a healthy lifestyle just by nature of what you do. It's, I mean, you talk about, riding horses at sunrise, you know, the the average individual doesn't have that opportunity. That's just part of your world. And so I would imagine that um, you have a deep understanding of the benefits of that. Absolutely. I, I didn't realize that when I was a kid. Yeah. And then, and then I moved away from the ranch and I was like, oh, I need to go to the gym instead of, you know, just bucket hay bales and riding my horse every day and helping, you know, move, lift heavy things, frankly, or fixing fence or, you know, using your hands. Well, right. You talk about, you know, you're like, I get up and then I do a workout. I'm like, why are you working out? Like you're probably working out all day, you know, just by nature of what you do. And it's, it's envious, you know, I'm envious of that to be able to have that type of lifestyle and especially for your children. You know, I, I follow a couple different, um, called cowgirls on, on Instagram. And, you know, I just watch what their daily life looks like. And it's so incredibly, um, it's just amazing to just see, like you just see their kids, you know, helping to, to move livestock across the ranch and again, walking with hay barrels. And that's just like their daily life, you know, and I'm, I'm here in outside of Philadelphia, just trying to push my kid outside to play basketball for 30 minutes. So he gets some outdoor time because, you know, most of his day is spent inside, you know, and so there are such tremendous benefits, both physically and mentally, I think, to growing up in that, in that way. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and we, my husband and I were living in Boise, Idaho when, you know, we talked about 
possibly moving back and the thought process of having children. And I watched a lot of kids in our neighborhood and we had like an acre and, you know, we had horses in the backyard and things like that. But uh, a lot of kids in the neighborhood, their, their parents were taking them to soccer for, you know, one hour in the afternoon and then another extracurricular and all of the things. And part of me, I'm like, I just, we can, we can do something so different, you know, on the ranch and they can literally learn that something depends on them for life. Yeah. You know, with, with an animal that you're producing for food you know, it's a little different than your dog or your cat, but literally that animal is reliant on you for everything. And that type of ownership and responsibility and connection with something that's bigger than yourself. I didn't, I couldn't think of a way to teach them living where we were doing what we were doing. Um, and, and I am very thankful and feel incredibly blessed that we had the opportunity to be able to do that and, and move back here to the ranch and, you know, be around my dad and this legacy and this lifestyle. And I, I feel incredibly blessed every day that we are able to do that and be able to teach them the things that I didn't know how else to teach them. It wasn't what I wanted to give them. It's what I wanted to be able to teach them. I love that, you know, teaching them to be responsible for life, right? And something bigger than themselves, because it's true. Like, how do you teach in modern day America? How do you teach that to your kids? Um, you know, for, I've got three children and, you know, I, I take a lot of what I try to teach them back to military service, you know, growing up in a military household and having them under, try to understand that idea of service and sacrifice by being surrounded by a lot of these individuals. But at the end of the day, like you are actually doing it in such a tangible way. Right. And so they can really feel that it's pretty awesome. It's, it's a really cool spot to be able to be, to, to do that. Um, I do think that's some of what's lost in modern society is the reality that, you know, that meat that's on your table is, is something did have, you know, a life had to end. So yours could continue. Yeah. And being able to honor that is something that I, I take quite seriously, you know, as far as like just trying to teach the next generation and connect with other people to understand that I, I'm an animal lover at heart. I mean, if I could collect a, a little funny farm around here and keep everything indefinitely, I probably would. Um, <laughs> but I know that that doesn't quite work. Um, so I, I didn't know how else to, to teach that kind of thought process for my kids and be able to connect people back to that. So, um, and I think that's wonderful what, what you guys are doing on, on the veteran side, because that's also something that's very near and dear to my heart of making sure that our kids understand that. And we have a lot of veterans surrounding us. Um, my, my husband's dad was, he's a veteran as well. And I mean, we have a lot of that in our life that I want to like figure out how to better connect our children with too, to hear those stories and understand the sacrifice that is made. That's a lot of what we, we do, you know, in our house, we, we share those stories and, and have them have that deeper appreciation. Um, I can't right now collectively in, in my world, teach my kids how to be responsible for another life in the way that you're teaching your kids. But, um, I have taught my kids to have a deep appreciation for good quality beef. And so when you guys sent um, an awesome package to us, uh, you know, we, we eat a lot of meat 
Um, and it was funny. Your, your husband said to me, um, are you guys eat meat? I said, yeah, we eat meat. And he said, okay. He said, I got some stuff coming your way, but, um, the first night, and I can't remember, you sent us so many different amazing cuts, but my husband grilled up some steaks and, you know, put them on the table. And my nine-year-old son said, now this is a good steak, dad. Where's this from? You know, so <laughs> right away, he, he, he knows. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about um, Colorado craft beef and how um, you decided that was the best path for, for your family's ranch and, and what you're doing. Sure. A couple different stories come to mind, uh, but one of the biggest ones is prior to starting Colorado Craft Beef and even in, in the mix of when we started the company, uh, I was working in animal health and I was traveling all over the country. We went to so many different meetings, literally across the states. Um, and at every meeting, there was this common theme of like, Hey, we need to educate our consumer, which I don't really like that verbiage. I like to think of it more as like connecting and, you know, having a conversation around it. But that was like their overarching theme at literally every meeting that I went to for the first five years, for sure, before we started the company. And they're like, oh, these, you know, the millennial consumer has changed so much and we got to figure out a different way to connect. And frankly, I'm a millennial. Uh, in a state that is has changed a lot. Uh, the middle part of Colorado is is very different than the outskirts from the the rural parts. Um, there's a lot of a lot of different people that have moved in here from you know primarily like California, but some other places that they're already a little more disconnected from where their food came from. Uh, so the the front range of Colorado was kind of a, a prime place to be able to have some of these conversations and do something different. And after this theme just kept hitting over and over, I'm looking around the room at frankly, 65 year old men that have been in this industry their entire life saying that we need to collect with, or connect with a millennial consumer and a millennial <laughs> mother. I'm like, uh, maybe that's probably not for you guys to do, but, um, and, and then, and, and I know that you guys utilize this in the, in the foundation, but, and this was the thought that came to my mind and definitely not at the same level, of course, as service in the military. But I was like, Hey, if not me, then who, Yeah, who does it? I, I don't know. Uh, so that was one piece of just feeling like we needed to do something different. We needed to actually have that straight line to who was eating our products because in the beef industry, well, I'm, I guess I'm going to call it the cattle industry, the ranching industry, you ask somebody what they produce and they'll be like, oh, well, I produce a 600 pound calf in the fall and I sell them, you know, the second week of October. And we have to look around and realize that we actually sell beef. You know, that's, that's what drives our market. So having consumers that love our product and have a great eating experience and feel good about it that really is what drives our market all the way down to our ranch gates. I love that story. Um, and I can relate. I've, I've told of a lot of different stories about being the only woman at a, in a room with a bunch of men and, you know, it's driven a lot of decisions in my life, um, from the work I do with veterans and, you know, and I also talk a lot about, I run one of the largest veteran service organizations in the country and, um, I'm a female and I'm not a veteran. So it took me a long time to 
feel like I was represented and that I could, you know, make an impact and, you know, and, and it took a while for people to take me seriously, honestly. And, um, obviously you come with a lot more gravitas in your background as a fifth generation rancher, but I totally understand that idea of, you know, the 65 year old men making decisions for, you know, the millennial generation. And I see a lot of that just in general in our nation. And so I love that you, you took those five words and said, okay, I'm doing it. If not me, then who that's awesome. Um, you also, when you, when you started Colorado craft beef, like you, you talk, you talk about your pillars and, and you've got three pillars, steadfastness, defiance, and legacy. Um, share with us because we've got some great values at the foundation that are important to us. Like share with us how those pillars came to be and what do they mean? Like what, what do they represent to, to the, the bigger business? This is actually a really fun story. Uh, so we relatively recently have brought on, uh, well, it's definitely recent that that we were able to bring our, our head of marketing on, uh, but he was helping us part-time prior to this. Uh, and he was instrumental in developing these brand pillars uh, because our brand from when we started has changed. Of course, you know, I, I had it in my mind. We were going to be selling to millennial moms and that's all we were going to be doing. And, you know, things, things have changed dramatically since we started the business. And when we sat down and actually this is the even better tie about this is our head of marketing. He is a Marine. He is, and he has a, an extreme love for your guys's foundation. You've done some incredible things for him. So this is even more fun to be able to talk about the story of where these pillars came from. Uh, so we were all, my, my husband and I and, and our, our head marketing, we were sitting around the table talking about how we kind of morph the brand into what we want it to be. And I just told the stories of where it came from and things that are important and making sure that we are, we're very steadfast in, in what we do, that it's not a, a fly by night type of situation. It's a, we know what we stand for and we're going to stand tall no matter what, what comes at us. Uh, and then the, the defiance piece of that is there's a lot of things in the industry that we do because grandpa did it. Um, yeah. and, and I'm like, we're just, I'm just not going to stand for that. We need progress. We need to continue to do better. Let's always question the why behind everything we are doing and making sure that we are doing it for the right reasons. Uh, whether that means that, you know, we're going to defy the expectations of the traditional norm and, or defy the expectations of our customers. Uh, I, I want them to have an incredible eating experience every time they sit down at the table and then, they're able to look around and see the people that are around the table and appreciate it that much more. Um, and then the legacy piece of course is, is kind of the generational piece of the ranch. Uh, but also that's even morphed a little bit more into, you know, we're, we're working on our legacy, but in my mind, I want to be able to fuel everybody else's legacy. You know, when your, your body and your mind is fueled well with the highest quality protein, you can imagine 
you can do a lot of cool things in your life. And thankfully, we are blessed in this country to have full stomachs because a hungry man only has one problem. So when when you have a full stomach and you can focus on your own building your own legacy, you know, fulfilling your own mission, uh, I feel like they, that's our service to society is to be able to help be a piece of of that for the rest of our, our fellow Americans. I love that so much. And I love, you know, one of the things for me as a consumer that's so important to see, um, you know, whether it's retail or food, whatever it may be, is, you know, understanding the brand and the business behind all of it, right? And so feeling that connection to the product that you're buying, you know, again, in today's world, um, with fly by everything, fly by fashion, fly by food, fly by furniture. Um, it's, it's become empty in the amount of time and work and passion that goes behind, uh, some of these businesses and the way you articulated that was just, it was awesome. I love it. Um, I love to know, you know, again, I talk about, I, I have prided myself historically as being the person that goes in and buys the, you know, when I'm walking into the grocery store, I'm buying, you know, the range-free chicken eggs and grass-fed, you know, and then as I got older and started to really understand hyper-consumerism and, and understand, oh crap, I'm still buying crap anyway, you know, um, I'd love to know, and I'd love to explain to our listeners, you know, how does your beef differ from the beef that we buy in our grocery stores? Because there is a, there's a huge difference. And, you know, even the, the, the beef that you're buying in whole foods that you say, oh, I buy, you know, I buy my stuff from whole foods, but, but there's a big difference. So I'd love for you to explain that to us. Sure. Uh, the, the labeling piece, oh man, that is so that bad. can be such a rabbit trail. Yeah. Uh, to be able to go down all of the the labeling path and just the the lack of a true transparency that comes along with it, because a lot of it is more marketing, and and a lot of these buzzwords have moved into just sheer marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, on the direct consumer side, in some ways, you're kind of like forced into the trap to either use them because we get questions all the time of "Is your beef this? Is it this? Is it this?" And the reality is, it's really high quality protein. Whether you are buying beef literally anywhere, you know, through the grocery store, etc. Uh, there are some things that we can do different because we are direct to consumer. Uh, we can take a little more time with the process. And something that I, I stand firm on is we are we're just more intentional with what we do because we can and we can take the time to do it. And and frankly, then then the price reflects that. Yep. Of course, that's kind of basic economics and some of those things of it. Uh, but what we do is, and this was part of my passion project of starting Colorado Craft Beef, is we work really closely with all of our other partners in the supply chain. Uh, we don't technically have a, a mother cow herd. We purchase calves from our cow-calf partners that align with the type of production practices that we'd like to be able to see in the program. And so much of that is thinking about the fact that 
we're producing beef, you know, and the, this product is, is what we want for everybody to have a great eating experience, but also balancing, you know, a ranch down the road, even two miles has to do things differently than we do. And we understand that. So some of that comes along with, you know, the genetic piece of what they're doing and how they manage their cow herd and their calves. And, and, and of course we need to do things different because we're in a different segment and it's a very unsegmented chain that we've tried to, that, that really we've secured. So we've been able to collaborate with all of the pieces of the chain and put them all together to where we can really craft a beef product. I know it's cattle are of course a big piece of that. Uh, but there's little, little things that if, you know, I've lived in this industry and breathed it my whole life and I could get down in the weeds, but I don't want to get too far in the weeds of what makes beef really good. And beef inherently is really good because of the type of protein that it is. Uh, But also cows, I feel like they have, they do have a superpower, frankly, of being able to turn grassland into such a high quality protein. And it's because they're a ruminant animal. Their digestive system is different than ours. So they can take that grass and convert it into protein. Uh, We can't do that in the the hog or the chicken sector because they're simple stomach animals. Uh, They just, they don't have that superpower. So that's where it starts with cattle to begin with. It's the fact that they can take these grasslands and convert it into protein. Uh, And most of these grasslands aren't suitable for other things. We, since I think it was the sixties is the last time where we live was ever farmed. I mean, it was, it was made for grazing cattle. That's what it was made for. And then from that process, the intentionality of knowing that these cattle are going to be protein for somebody, the specifications that come through USDA as far as how beef needs to be graded is inherent on age, as well as we call it marbling, but it's basically the fat content of that meat, the the intramuscular fat. Um, so those those are two things that come into let's call the the grade. So if you're going to the grocery store and you say choice or prime, that's what we call fed beef, which is cattle that are under 30 months of age. They have that amount of intramuscular fat to be able to be graded like that. Um, so that's like, just, if you're going to the grocery store and you look for something or you're at a steakhouse and they're like, well, we have prime ribeye. They have to fall into that tranche to be able to be graded like that through USDA. And that's regulated through that government entity. Uh, us personally, we, we do grain finish cattle. You know, all of our cattle are grass fed. The majority of cattle in the U S spend about 75% of their life on grass. And then that it's the finishing phase, uh, typically the last 120 days when cattle consume a higher concentrate diet that allows for the marbling that can get you to a choice and a prime and that really buttery, flavorful eating experience that you have with Colorado craft beef uh, comes from fat because fat tastes good frankly. Um, and I'm sure obviously your nine-year-old has tasted the difference of different beef and, uh, grass fed grass finish tastes very different from something that has been grain finished. Uh, it just does. It increases the consistency. It increases the taste. It increases that flavor profile that, that we love. Uh, but also 
One very big difference that we can do is we dry age everything after it's converted to meat as a carcass for 14 to 21 days. So that aging time allows, it makes it much more tender, more robust flavor. All of the things that come out in the beef that that you eat from us is all part of the intentional craftsmanship of the process. Um, and when, when it comes to labels, I just want to stand on everybody. Just make sure you know what they mean yeah. or have a conversation with somebody who, who you can, because unfortunately at the grocery store counter, typically that butcher knows nothing about where that product actually came from. They may know how to talk about the product because they got a little bit of training on, well, it's grass fed and that's what everybody wants. So that's what I tell them. But the reality is they don't know about the entire process. They weren't involved in that piece. And I think that's something that's really important to understand and know that there is intentionality with everything we do and you got to balance, you have to balance nature and, and the fact that we are producing a protein product, but the intentionality of the process is an important piece of that. And I don't know how you put that on a label besides buying from a brand that you know and trust. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it right there. And and I'll tell you, um, I, before you just spoke, I thought that, you know, you always look for grass fed, right? I thought, and, and that is how um, they've programmed us to believe that grass fed is like, and, and frankly, I don't know, I don't know why I would think grass fed versus grain fed, but, but, but grass fed, it's like, oh, well, this is grass fed. So, okay, well, I'm going to get that. And, and I probably in the store would go to a butcher and be like, well, if if they say it's grass fed, I'd be like, okay, I'll take that over grain fed. And so you, you definitely just taught me something that I did not know. Um, Well, the interesting part about the grass fed label is it's technically not regulated. So there's no definition of grass fed. And when you say grass fed, then everyone's like, well, was it grass finished too? Or was it grain finished? And there's so many nuances that are just so confusing for a consumer. And like you said, they're, they're like created to make you feel shame about your food choices. And I'm not about that. I, I think that if somebody, you know, wants to feed their family, high quality meat from the grocery store and that's what you know they can afford in their budget like there shouldn't be any shame in that yeah i I just you know most Uh, of these labels are kind of created for food shaming and it's true like i think back to when you know my kids my my youngest is nine i have two girls in high school and like when my first was born i was like you know i was obsessed with making sure that you know i only you know my strawberries were going to be organic because the pesticides could penetrate the the strawberry. I could save some money by buying non-organic lemons and bananas because you could peel those off and, you know, the pesticides didn't penetrate. And so, and then I found myself paying $3 more for organic fruit snacks versus regular fruit and organic macaroni, boxed macaroni and cheese. And it was honestly my husband one day, he's like, you're feeding them box macaroni and cheese. Like, do you really think that you are creating a more nutritional product for your kid because they wrote the word organic on it? And it was like a light bulb went off and I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. You know? And so <laughs> I think, you know, we can be 
we can be led very far with misleading labels in in today's consumer world and you know i i think the answer to that is looking for these the small like i i now like to go to the farmers market when the farmers markets open in my town in the summers to buy my produce right like i would much rather go and say this is a two man farm 5 miles down the street from me okay i'm i'm going to get my lettuce and my produce there um, because I, I see you and I'm looking at you and I can ask you questions and I know yeah. that that's not always available. That's not always the option, but it certainly is what I look to go to before anything else. Um, and guess what? You know, there's times where I also slide into a McDonald's drive through and buy my yeah. kids a Big Mac, you know, it is right. what it is, everything in moderation, but I think we have to look for, um, I think we can't be led astray by these these misleading terms that, again, I think are just all this kind of ploy to bump up the consumerism, to spend more money on things you don't need to spend more money on. Like, I'd rather buy Welch's grapefruit snacks and high quality meat from Colorado craft beef, you know? Right. You know, it's- Yeah, it's that basic premise of, well, oh, you know, we have a choice of feeding organic mac and cheese or- beef that we got from the grocery store. Like, I mean, let's, let's just choose beef. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's fuel our bodies um, <laughs> instead of, yeah, that thought process is well, crazy. I, I do think it's, I do think it's funny though, just in today's, today's world again, you know, everything is cyclical, but right now there's a, a big push on protein and, you know, just in from the diet culture, you see, like, if you're watching the diet culture, it's not about cutting calories anymore. It's about meeting your protein goals. And if you meet your protein goals, I mean, frankly, it's all about cutting calories because you have to, you can't eat a lot of calories to eat. Yeah, yes. you're right. Mm-hmm. So, but there's this big emphasis on protein. And I was laughing yesterday. I was talking to someone because my son's obsessed with, you know, he's not trying to lose weight, but he, he wants to be a big boy and he, and he'll be like, mom, does this have a lot of protein in it? You know, like that. And, and I don't even think he understands what pro he knows meat has protein, but he'll ask me like, he'll walk up with a banana, like mom, how much, how much protein does this have in it? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's good. Eat the banana. Like you're fine, you know, but, um, but the idea that again, everything is cyclical, but I like where we are right now in this space where there is um, a concentrated effort on showing the benefit of protein in one's body. Um, you know, I I went through a phase where I was a vegan for probably six months. This was probably about five years ago. I watched all these documentaries on Netflix about how, you know, eating meat was going to kill me in the next five years. And, and I went vegan and I felt horrible the entire time. Like I, I felt horrible and I lost a bunch of weight and I realized I lost a bunch of weight because I wasn't eating because I hated everything, you know, and it was just, it was just wild to look like where I am now in my life. And honestly, I think the day I stopped being vegan, I grilled a big steak up because I was just like, what? Like it was, I felt like I was brainwashed. I'm like, what was I doing the last six, six months, you know? And so, um, but this idea that there is a lot of emphasis on the importance of protein in your diet, uh, I think is, it's it's certainly a good place for you guys to be in where you're sitting right now. 
For sure. I, I mean, and even if we weren't ranching and all of the pieces of it, uh, the, the conscious thought of, especially what goes into my children's bodies, because my, my girls are almost to be four and one just turned two. And I, I didn't take as much thought of what was going into my body until all of a sudden I was fueling an, another body. And then, you know, I'm thinking about their health trajectory and that's become much more of a passion project for me of let's make sure that we're fueling our, our children's bodies with high quality protein and whole foods. And, you know, I am, we're primarily animal based and in, in general, but you know, it's not that we're say, don't eat this or, you know, eat more of this, but it is that thought process of, Hey, let's, let's eat our protein first. Yeah. Um, let's just make sure that we're fueling our bodies and our minds. And, uh, there's, there's so many things that can come along with that as far as, especially, you know, young girls when they get older of, you know, feeling their bodies and some of the body side of that, that I've, I've dealt with in my life and I want to make sure that my children don't have to go down that path too. Yeah. Okay. So, um, a, a fifth generation rancher who owns an amazing beef company. What is your favorite cut of beef? Hmm. The ribeye cap is my favorite. Okay. So the top side of the ribeye, huh. my husband will cut it off for me. He, he's a good man like that and, <laughs> and just let me have it and he'll eat the center of the ribeye. Uh, but that's if we're cooking at home. Uh-huh. If I go out to eat, I typically will order a filet because the margin of error is a lot less in a filet if you're going out to eat. But, oh. you know, our our favorite at home I, I'm going to have a ribeye, but the ribeye caps, what I'll eat first. I love it. Um, okay. Tell us too, you know, again, another uh, way we got uh, deeper connected is uh, we are, um, we're great partners with uh, Jocko Fuel. Um, and you guys uh, just announced a new partnership with Origin and Jocko Fuel. I saw a great picture of you guys out in, was that in Colorado? Where you guys took that picture or was that in Maine? Which, oh, of all of us, yeah. that that was in Maine. In Maine, yes. yeah. So you guys just kind of announced your partnership. You put an email about it. Tell us about what that looks like. Uh, you know, so for, I think most of you know who listen, but Jocko Fuel is a, you know, supplement-based company, protein powders, hydration packets, um, anything and everything in between, protein cookies. Origin is a, you know, it's a clothing lifestyle brand. And then in comes Colorado craft beef. So talk to us about what that partnership looks like. Sure. And it may seem a little obscure <laughs> to some, but um, it's it's really a, a partnership with the the founders of these companies. Um, so it's it's a collaboration of, of like-minded Americans that frankly love great steak. Uh, you know, and they've they had our product before we went down this this track and, and it was it was really good stuff. So it's got to start with quality uh, above all else. But also it's it's that like minded American like, you know, mission. Um, so there there's a couple things that are very iconically American. Um, the, of course, a soldier saluting the American flag. Uh, but also the the icon of a cowboy in the American West is also very American. Yep. Um, and that's something that has been, you know, kind of a passion project of like reviving that and reviving that connection, but also 
really fueling your body as well. Um, so there's just a lot of really great collaborations and, you know, the, the mindset that goes along with those two things may seem a little different, but yet it's, it was a, a very strategic partnership of, uh, we know in, in our space in the ranching industry, you know, we're less than 2% of the population as far as the people that grow the food in this country. Uh, and there's, you know, 98% of the consuming public. So being able to have you know, kind of a bigger platform to be able to connect people back with where their, their beef comes from, uh, where their food comes from and have those conversations and be able to just kind of further the, a lot of, you know, the American thought process of, and there, there's not a lot of things as far as especially food production that is much more just inherently American than running cattle on range out West. Yeah. It's, uh, so it, it just made a lot of sense and it was, it's exciting. Uh, it's, it's been so fun and, and I'm excited for the the future of, of what it'll look like. I mean, I totally get it. You say it's obscure, but I get how all, all, all of you fit together. I think it's awesome. Um, so farming and ranching, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the definition of resilience, you, you know, unexpected things happen each day. I can only imagine, um, like you, I said, give me a typical day, but I'm sure every day is not typical. Um, what's been some of the biggest challenges or, you know, that you've had at the ranch, um, something you've had to overcome or even, you know, starting the business, like what's a big challenge you've had to, to overcome. Hmm. Gosh, there's so many things running through my head. Uh, we could talk about mother nature's challenges. Last winter was one of the worst ones we've ever had on record. I was really tired of wearing coveralls and scooping snow out of feed bunks. That was, that was one that you kind of question, question what you're doing, but then also you come out on the other side of that and you're like, yeah, I did it. That's <laughs> here we are and cattle still have to eat. And that's what we have to do. You know, um, I think Jeff become, became really offended on how good he got on the skid steer of moving snow. Uh, that was something we hadn't dealt with much here because most of the time our winters are relatively open. We get snow, but not like that. Um, uh, I'd still say though, one big challenge has been mindset. It's the mindset of the industry that we're in. It's very traditional, which I appreciate in a lot of ways. But a lot of times that tradition hampers innovation too. And if somebody's doing something different, they they don't take that very well. You know, they'd rather squash that and be like, oh, we're gonna, we gotta keep doing it the way grandpa did. And be like, well, but why? Yeah. Let's, let's ask ourselves why. If that's the best way to do it, awesome. But if not, let's like at least have the question. Let's have that open mindset of doing something different and bigger serving something bigger, uh, than just ourself. Um, so I guess those would be a couple of things yeah. in general. I uh, mean, I have to imagine, you know, from the, the, the mother nature standpoint, that physical standpoint, like you said, you're grinding all winter and coming out of it at the end. I mean, that's gotta feel, that's gotta feel pretty powerful. It does. Like it's, a, it's amazing that feeling of being able to, to do the hard things. Uh, that's also something I want to be able to teach my kids of like, Hey, do you want to go out and scoop snow and, you know, be out in a blizzard? Like 
we, we almost just drove the loader home last winter because we're like, that's going to be the easiest way to make sure that we can make sure cattle are fed and drive down the road and open it up if we have to, yeah. <laughs> because cattle have to be fed. Yeah. It's just the reality of it. Um, so some of those things that like, just make you feel that, you know, a service mindset of doing something bigger than yourself and uh, coming through it on the other side, you can look back and be like, man, I think, and actually, I think that's what made me, me. And some of that actually I think is what makes my marriage work, uh, frankly, because Jeff and I have a very similar mindset and we, we know we have to do what it takes and work hard and, you know, that kind of grit piece of it. I, I couldn't marry somebody who had it all handed to them and things were easy and they just have like a different mindset in life to not overcome these challenges. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked. I love that. Just get it done, right? You just got to get it done. Um, Okay. So we're going to finish up. I ask everybody um, the same question, uh, the last uh, last question of every episode. And um, Carrie, you're awesome. I love your story. I love your passion. Um, I love the way you talk about your business and what you do. And, And again, I think for me to be able to see and feel the people behind the brand is is so incredibly important. And, um, again, for that person to be a strong female, uh, I love it even more. Um, but I always finish up every episode by asking what does living a resilient life look like for you? You know, I've, I've listened to quite a few of your episodes and, some actually a word that just keeps coming to mind for me is, and it's kind of Western, frankly, is, is grit. Mm -hmm. It's like the grit of just making sure you, you gotta, you have to do what you have to do. And that epitome of just, you know, I don't even necessarily just grinding it, but knowing like that that's just something that's inherent inside of you is like the grit to continue to be resilient and, go on and and keep facing the challenges no matter how hard it is and and some of that i mean the ag mindset teaches you that or taking care of livestock teaches you that you know you look outside and it's 20 below and that's blowing sideways and snowstorms and you're like well we got to do it you know <laughs> and well, we've got to still still get out there and do that and just kind of in embodying the the grit that it takes to do that I, is is a pretty big tie for me into just being resilient. So, well, I can see that in everything that you talked about, your passion for the work that you do, and you know, when I I can like picture that idea of waking up with a crap ton of snow on the ground and knowing that there's no other option, right? Like you have to go out and feed that cattle. There's no other option. And I think a lot of times in life, um, we have that option. Like we have that option to quit. We have that option to not get up for the 5.30 AM workout because nothing's, nothing's going to die as a result of it. You know, nothing's going to happen as a result of it. It's just, we can hit that snooze button. And there's not a lot of times in life when we're met with that decision where we, we have no other option, right? This is what we have to do. And so I love the position you take on it, that it's just like, just go out and do it, you know? And so I think 
for those of us that aren't living on a fifth generation ranch and are given the option of hitting that snooze button, that nothing is going to die as a result of us not taking that chance or not going out there in that cold or whatever it may be, you know, um, I'm going to think about you. I'm going to think about you the next time my alarm goes off and, you know, I've got that early morning workout um, and, and knowing that like, you don't get the opportunity to hit the button and go back to bed. And so uh, you're going to be my inspiration um, for, for those moments where I question myself and I'm not completely disciplined. Um, uh, so I appreciate that. And I thank you. Uh, you have an incredible story. Um, I'm so honored again to have another strong, incredible female join this audience um, because I think the world needs to hear more of those stories. And so thank you so much for your time today. And guys, Colorado craft beef, um, it's good. Uh, I'm not saying that because Kara's sitting here with me. Uh, when that, that meat showed up, my husband and I spread it all out on the butcher block. And we were like, what, which one are we defrosting? Like what we're diving in tonight. This is good, high quality protein. Um, check it out. We'll link on our YouTube page uh, directly so you can head on over and get your own high quality beef. Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work you do. It's incredible. Thanks.